Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ here in Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study each Wednesday evening for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ for our midweek Bible classes. We know that there are people in the Omaha area who cannot be with us because of scheduling conflicts or maybe physical problems or health problems. And We know that there are people listening in other parts of the country and around the world who want to be in Bible study. They want to learn more about God's Word and from God's Word, but they obviously cannot be with us because they live in other areas of the country and the world. So we're thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the internet, and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful you're there. We're thankful we can be here with you to help you come to a better understanding, a fuller understanding of God's will communicated to us through his word. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Help them grow in their faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so as you help people get into God's Word by sharing these studies with them, you should be helping them grow in their faith. And prayerfully and hopefully, you can be helping them get to heaven. So take advantage of that and begin to share today. We want to get back into our study in the book of John, the book of John. What a great gospel account. And as we've emphasized or pointed out, this particular gospel account stands alone, so to speak, among the four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic gospels, and they are pretty parallel from beginning to end. They cover much of the same or many of the same uh, situations and events and days and teachings that Jesus went through during his ministry upon this earth. John focuses differently, uh, not in a contradictory fashion at all, but it focuses more upon specific uh, teachings and situations in Jesus's life, emphasizes one of the longest immediate context of Scripture in the entire New Testament, the night of his betrayal, beginning with chapter 13 and going through chapter 17. And so it gives all of that focus on the night of his betrayal leading up to his being taken into captivity by the, or into custody by the Jewish authorities, and the very next day he'd be hanging on the cross. So that's, that's an, an understanding of how it's different. Neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke devote that much time to that evening that Jesus, on which Jesus was betrayed by his, his apostle Judas. And, and so you get a fuller focus on that and what went on during that evening, what Jesus taught them, what he said to them, what he told them was coming uh, through the, the gospel account according to John. Also, John chapter 1 really goes into a greater and deeper focus about the deity of Jesus than we get necessarily from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Again, when you look at the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the fuller picture of Jesus and his ministry. So, it really helps us to uh, gain, again, more understanding by seeing all of these four gospel accounts put together.
Now, let us begin with verse 39 of, I'm sorry, verse 43 of chapter 4. We looked in chapter 4, we looked at the first 42 verses, and we really focused a great deal upon what is called the woman at the well, or the account of the woman at the well. And so Jesus and his apostles were moving along through the countryside, came to a well that was identified as Jacob's well, so it had been there for many hundreds of years. Jacob, as, as being a forefather of the people of Israel and a father, literal father of Joseph, going all the way back into the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. And so here is a woman of Samaria, and she comes to draw water. Jesus is there at that well. The apostles have gone into the city to buy some food, and so when she comes to draw water, Jesus asks her for a drink. And that initiates a conversation between him and the woman, and he begins to tell her some things and state some things about her life that he would have no way of knowing other than being God the Son with divine knowledge. And she goes ultimately back into the city, and she tells the men of the city, come come see a man or hear a man who has told me all things that I've done or everything about my life, you know, along those lines. And so <clears throat> many men of the city, then they, became, they began walking out to where she left Jesus by that well. And they listened to him, and they actually asked him to stay on longer. So he stays with them for two days and teaches them further. And then as you come to the end of that particular immediate context, in verse 42, they, that is the men of the city, said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed Christ, the Savior of the world. What a great account. What a great account, and what a great statement of faith that those men of that city, as well as that woman, had, had evidenced openly about their having come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus the Christ. We begin with verse 43 to close out this particular chapter, and so here we begin to read. Now, after the two days, he departed. Again, he was there for two days teaching all of those men. I wonder, probably some of the women of the city came out to listen to him today. Now, that's just speculation on my part, but I suspect that was probably the case. Now, after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Uh, isn't that a sad statement? But I, I, I have come to understand and believe that that is absolutely true for the most part. Now, when you say has no honor in his own country, now maybe there's, you know, a bit of hyperbole there, but a person who becomes a Christian, he has learned the gospel or she has learned the gospel and they've obeyed the gospel. They've been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, for salvation, to come into Jesus, to have the promise of that eternal life in heaven. And they're excited. They're, they're, they have a, a, a sense of, of, of excitement and peace now. 
and joy that they haven't experienced until that time in their life. And they're ready to tell their family about it. And so they go home and they start to tell their family. But so often their family gives them something of a cold shoulder, don't they? They, they, have, they have a great hesitance of accepting what their family member who has just become a Christian is there to tell them. And in some cases, families kind of split apart, or at least they kind of grow cold in their relationships because the one has become a Christian and they want to tell them, they want to get across the gospel message to them. They want salvation and forgiveness and all that they're experiencing for their, all of their family members, but their family members, for the most part, are not ready for that. They're, they're not ready to maybe even listen much, much less respond in repentance and obedience. And so that's sad. And so Jesus, he goes to Galilee, and again, for he himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Those who are most familiar with an individual who then comes becomes a Christian. In Jesus' case, he grows up in an area. The people know him. They've seen him there, all of his growing up life from a physical perspective. And so they have less of a tendency to really believe that he is the Savior. How sad that is. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. So he goes to a different area, and those people, they're, they're receive, they receive him. Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So they did not see him grow up. That person who just became a Christian going home to the family, that family's seen them all of their life. Now they're coming, and they're, they've got a, you know, a revolutionary message. They've got a message that, that those people have never heard in the fullness that they have just heard it and responded to in obedience. And, and so they're you know, kind of standoffish. You know, they're kind of rejecting of, of listening and really paying that much attention. Would, but if that person goes to somebody else, who does not know them very well at all, or maybe has never met them before, and they begin sharing what they have learned about the gospel, about forgiveness, about Jesus, about God, that other person may tend to be very receptive. Again, it seems strange, doesn't it? Well, Jesus, not necessarily well-received within the area in which he grew up, initially at least, but now he goes to Galilee and the Galileans receive him. They, they've seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast because they had been there too. And it was, again, revelatory to them. Wow, look at this. Listen to this man teaching. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this man, this man had some knowledge of Jesus. He's referred to as a nobleman and 
probably a royal official. That would be another translation there. He's heard something about Jesus, at least something, enough to motivate him to go and, and, and ask that Jesus would heal his son. So he may have actually come to the point of having quite a bit of faith in Jesus. He asks him for healing of his son because his son was at the point of death, verse 47. Verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. This is something that really, again, we need to understand the depth of. The Apostle Paul wrote in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, he's not demeaning in any way the importance of what Jesus did on this earth in his public ministry, the miracles that he performed, the signs that he performed, the, the, you know, the wonders that he demonstrated, showing that the power of God and the authority of God was behind everything that he taught, everything that he said, his very identity as he identified himself as the Savior come to earth. It does not diminish any of that. But when truth is presented, truth is truth, whether anybody believes it, accepts it, likes it or not. Truth is not up for a vote. Truth is truth, whether anybody believes it or not. I've used by way of illustration, think about back in hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousand years ago, when people did not believe the earth was round. They thought it was flat. They thought if, if a ship went off toward the horizon, if it went too far, it would fall off the edge of the earth. Because you see, they could not see beyond a certain point. We understand that's because we call that the horizon, because of the curvature of the earth. But they thought the earth was flat. Some beliefs were along the line that, you know, <laughs> uh, Atlas was holding it up, the earth up on his shoulders. Another belief was that, you know, giant turtles at the four corners of the earth, the four corners of the earth, were holding up the earth on their shells, the backs of their shells. Well, all of that was false. The earth was round always from the creation. But most of the people, the vast majority, almost all of the people in the known world at that time thought it was flat. The fact that most everybody thought the earth was flat did not change the fact, the truth, that the earth was round and is round today. Now, the scriptures actually point that out in the Old Testament scriptures, talking, describing the earth as a ball, a circle. Well, we come back here, and Jesus says, you know, you, I'm here teaching you the truth. I'm the Savior come to earth, God the Son. And yet, I have to show you signs. I have to show you wonders. I have to perform miracles to impress upon you that what I'm teaching you is really the truth. Come from God. 
So the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. And again, this is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The first being turning the water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Well, we're not told exactly how far this man had traveled to come to Jesus and ask him, please come and heal my son. But certainly it was not, not just, you know, a hundred yards away. It was some journey, some travel, you know, time involved. The son was not in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus, being God the Son, being fully divine, he knew where the son was. He knew this man's son's condition. And he simply said, your son lives. And so we might call that long-distance healing. (laughs) But Jesus healed that man's son. And when the man was traveling back home, some of his servants met him and said, your son is okay. He's alive. He lives. The fever has left him. The man said, at what hour? Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the man knew that was the exact time that Jesus had said, your son lives. And that, whatever faith he might have had in Jesus, to whatever degree he might have had a belief in Jesus, at that moment, his faith strengthened. He, and not only him, but his whole household, verse 53. That man probably went home telling everybody in his household that he had been with Jesus. And it was at that very hour that Jesus had told him that his son lives. He probably went out and told other people as well as time went on. He had faith in Jesus. Now, again, We should not have to see miracles to believe in our Savior. We have the scriptures. As we keep emphasizing in these Bible studies, faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Jesus told Thomas after the resurrection, after he had been buried in the tomb and then came forth on the third day, risen, And ultimately, Thomas not being there when he initially presented himself risen before the other apostles, Thomas came along at a later time and and he said, you know, 
when he wasn't there initially, he, the apostles said the Savior, our Lord is risen. He said, hey, I'm not going to believe until I touch the hands where the nails went through. I'm not going to believe until I can put my hand in the side where the spear went in. And then when Thomas showed up at a different time and Jesus said, touch my hands, put your hand in, the, in my side. And Thomas confessed him as Lord and God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. You have believed, you believe in me because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe in me. We're almost 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. But we have the word, we have his word, we have the scriptures, and we have the evidence that he has risen. We have all of those accounts of all of the things that he did and all of the teaching that God wants us to have. It's all written down in the scriptures. We don't have to have miracles to convince us. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And God's word has been proven accurate countless times since it was completed in the first century as Jesus died on that cross. Now, people keep criticizing the scriptures. They keep denying its truthfulness, but their denials keep being proven untrue themselves. The scriptures continually are proven to be true and accurate in minute detail, and thereby we can believe what they teach about Jesus. And our faith cannot just develop, but it can grow stronger and stronger. I believe we're going to stop right here. A little bit shorter study today than we normally do, but this is a good stopping place. We will pick up with chapter 5 next time. So you can read that ahead, and then you can kind of have some notes in your mind, so to speak, as we get back and we cover that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son to die on that cross for us. Help us, Father, to make that meaningful, completely meaningful for us by coming to him as our Savior in faith and obedience. Help us, Father. And we pray that you will help people everywhere, all around the world, to see the blessed Savior through your word. Help us to be examples of faithfulness in Jesus and of living the Christian life before those around us. All to your glory, Father. And we pray to souls' salvation. Please, Father, we pray at this time 
please forgive us and hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.